Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast presented by Ranker, dedicated to just that. Short, scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... Mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ready for some wicked good scares? Excellent. Because tonight, we're taking a road trip to hear five urban legends from New England. First up, we follow a news crew as they report on some boys who've gone missing in a place called Dudley Town. This is Howard Putney, WCBN 7 News, coming to you live from Cornwall, Connecticut specifically within the area commonly known around these parts as Dudley Town. We're entering the third day since the disappearances around this unfortunate area, and police still don't have any leads. What is known is that 13-year-old Bobby Miller and his friend, 14-year-old Curtis Duncan, had dared one another to enter the fenced-off area of Cornwall, known collectively as Dudley Town. Despite knowing the physical and legal risks, both trespassed onto the property near the Dock Entry Forest Association building. That's a private trust that's attempted to reforest the farming-depleted area here. Despite frequent police patrols and surveillance, all the authorities have to go on is a short video of the two boys breaking into the private property by cutting a hole in the chain-link fence. Here to further elaborate on the dark history of Dudley Town is Cornwall Historical Society member Roger Buchanan. Roger. Thank you for having me, Howard. Of course. Now, Roger, is it true that Dudley Town is, as folks around here say, cursed? It is true that there is a myth of the land being cursed, but it is simply a derelict village, nothing more. Dudley Town was founded in the 1740s by Gideon Dudley and his family, hence the name Dudley Town. It was established as a small farming and ironworks community led by the Dudley family. The town thrived for several years until the Dudley family died off under unusual circumstances. How exactly? Disease, farming accidents, mental illness, 
misfortunes. Eventually, the town met its end when the land began to sour due to over-farming, and the ironworks went bankrupt. What few remaining villagers there were moved onto greener pastures in the Midwest, and Dudley Town was abandoned, the land reforested by the Dark Entry Forest Association. Are Bobby and Curtis in any danger within Dudley Town? I doubt it. All that's there are some old foundations, cellars, and rubble covered in the regrowing forest. The worst they'll have to worry about is prosecution. The association takes the matters of trespassing very seriously, especially if any of this land is vandalized. I see. Well, boys will be boys. But what do you have to say about supernatural phenomenon occurring in the remains of Dudley Town? You know, ghosts, demonic possession, things like that. Preposterous. Just local legends to try and give a deeper meaning to the reason why the settlement fell apart and to give people something to talk about. But there have been disappearances in the area and surrounding woods. Some, yes. But as with any major forest, especially in rural areas like this, it's simply the kind of danger that can befall inexperienced hikers and thrill-seekers who go into the woods unprepared. Wait, do do you hear that? I don't hear it. Oh, yes. What is that? Is that Bobby Miller? Get away from him! Bobby? Bobby? Bobby! Dudley Town. More like Deadly Town. Right, cadavers? The Nor'easters are really howling now. Better get back on the road. More New England tales after the break. Pull up your maps and grab your snacks, cadavers. We're driving with Anna to Massachusetts in a tale I call The Dover Demon. I'll never forget that night. That awful night. The night I saw the thing. It was... It was not of this world. I am sorry I kept silent about it for so long, but after everything, I doubted it myself, and I was afraid no one would believe me. It was April 23rd, 1977. I was in college at Boston University and driving through Dover to visit some family. It was a particularly dark night, and I was driving late. Those roads felt less lit by lamps and more like the stars and the moon. I didn't have much further to go, just driving through these old roads. Nothing but farmland around me. The radio. It started acting up. My music was interrupted by static, as though someone had ripped the antenna right off my car. I changed the station. Same static. Crackling so loud I had to turn it off. Some weird interference, I guessed. As I drove over the next hill, things got really strange. I noticed a glow. It was like the sun rising over the horizon. I almost put my sunglasses on. I thought it might have been a truck with bright headlights, but it was too small and just sitting there. As I got closer, I could make out the shape. There were arms and legs and piercing eyes. 
My sedan ended up in a ditch. I was so distracted, blinded, that I didn't see it coming. With the strength I had, I pushed the door open and made my way out of the wreck. The glow was gone. Whatever it was that I saw had vanished. I looked around, no buildings, no homes, and definitely no payphones nearby. I could either stick around and hope a friendly driver would come along, or try and hoof it into Dover proper so I could get to a phone. Something tickled my face. I wiped my brow and realized my forehead was bleeding. I was dizzy and I knew then that I needed to stay awake. I put one foot in front of the other and started the trek into town. It wouldn't last long. I heard a hum. Electrical. Like a big fluorescent light. I turned and saw a glowing creature. It was a few feet tall, hunched over. Its body became clear once the light surrounding it faded. It had eyes that glowed in the dark, orange and neon. Its skin was stark white. Then it came toward me. I stopped moving. It stopped moving. It craned its bulbous albino head at me. Those orange eyeballs boring into me like tiny suns magnified into my skin. It skittered along a path like a gecko, but it kept its eyes on me. There was no mouth that I could see, but the look it gave me, I could tell it was focused solely on me. For what reason, I didn't know, but I didn't want to find out. I sprinted as fast as I could in the opposite direction, but it was useless when its own eyes were a high-powered spotlight. I kept running, but looked back to see that thing scampering on all fours toward me like a wild animal and getting closer. I needed a place to hide, so I ran as fast as I could into the woods. Ignoring the stabbing branches and thorns, I sped forward with nothing but the light and the moon to guide me. Then, then I found a dead tree with a hollow trunk for me to hide in. I huddled inside and waited, hoping that eventually that monster would lose interest. I could hear it. I could see its glow through the cracks in the trunk. Whatever it was, it was dead set on finding me. My only choice was to wait and hope it would never find me. Eventually, the glow faded. I was never so happy to be in darkness. Slowly, I crept out of the tree. It was pitch black out there, and I weighed my options. Head into town, or wait till dawn. Then, there was light. Surrounding the trees and forest was a mass of light. Dozens of those glowing, bulbous, bug-eyed things all around me, through the branches, the bushes. There was no escape. I screamed as one of them. The first one, I believe, approached me. I screamed and I cried. It touched my forehead, wiping the blood off with its long, cold fingers. Then just like that, the glowing and humming faded. Those things, those creatures disappeared into the night. The last one, in front of me, simply craned its head, hand smeared with my blood, and disappeared into the shadows. I was alone, too stunned to move, 
too terrified to even scream. I lay there until morning and eventually wandered into town for help. I told them about the accident, but never mentioned that those creatures until now. I would have said I was crazy. Even when those other kids reported a similar sighting, the Dover Demon, they called it. I witnessed the Dover Demon firsthand. Sometimes, sometimes I see a glow off in the distance from my window. I don't know if its intentions are good or evil, but I may very well see it once more. Whoa, that story gives a whole new meaning to roadside attraction. Don't pull over just yet, cadavers. Our next stop is New Hampshire after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's see. My directions say head straight past Grave desecration, make a left at tuberculosis, and a right at Dracula. There, you'll find our next story, Vampire Panic. From the Medical Journals of Dr. Colton Hill of Concord, New Hampshire, April 4th, 1813. I have been called to the town of Hobbs End, New Hampshire. Sadly, an epidemic of consumption has broken out there. That contagious malady has already claimed a score of victims, Without proper intervention, more will surely follow. As well, I wish to educate the citizenry of the town, the rural community purportedly believing their misfortune to be of a supernatural origin. Such foolery could lead to a widespread infection. I arrived on April 7th by a horse-drawn carriage. The township only boasted a hundred odd residents, a population that decreased as the infection spread further. I spoke to Mayor Baker. He informed me that the consumption began as winter ended, starting with the Breen family, corn farmers who lived on the edge of Hobbs End. The youngest daughter, Marsha, developed the symptoms first, <coughs> weakness, paleness, appetite loss, <coughs> leading to coughing and the intense hacking up of blood. <coughs> with no doctor in town, they attempted to treat her with a combination of home remedies and traditional treatments. These efforts failed and she soon passed. She was buried 
the disease persisted among the family members and now has spread through the town. The townspeople believe in their superstitious eels that they must destroy the body of Marsha Breen. The Breen patriarch, Thomas Breen, refuses to comply, but the townspeople will not give up. They believe Marsha is now a member of the undead and continues to infect the town by biting people in the night. I have attempted to treat the folk of Hobbs End with medicinal solutions and have been successful in some cases. But the more prejudicial citizenry refuse, insisting their ailment is rooted in some vampiric foe. The following night, I awoke in the makeshift hospital to the sound of an irate mob. Those convinced that the dead girl, Marsha Breen, was the true culprit had armed themselves with pitchforks, guns, and torches. They marched to the Breen family plot where Marsha was buried. I quickly dressed and ran to the Breens in an attempt to warn them of the oncoming mob. I managed to make it to the farmstead with the villagers mere paces behind me. The Breens slept, their home dark and unprepared for what was coming. Frantically, I banged on the door and gained the attention of Thomas Breen and his remaining family. The all-consuming fire of the superstitious townspeople approaches. They come for Marsha, I warned. Thomas's face twisted in fury. He grabbed a rifle and told the rest of his family to vacate to the surrounding woods. He was intent on protecting his daughter's rest. As the descending crowd drew close, they fired their guns into the air. Give us the vampire child and we shall leave, Thomas. A man screeched in righteous fury. Thomas raised his own rifle and threatened the mob to remove themselves from his property or else. I implored the villagers to cease their mindless rage and vacate. We were instead met with fist and club. I was merely knocked aside while Thomas was kicked and bludgeoned to the ground. The disease requires exorcism by science, not this absurd barbarism. My words fell on deaf ears. After the beating, they found the Breen graves, a few freshly dug. They were upon Marsha's plot like a squall, pulling the dirt from the ground with several shovels until they came upon the pine box that held her and pried it open. That poor little soul, that poor child, pale, not even rotting. They told her Though already dead, a gruesome display to behold. Thomas cried and screamed into the night. Then they left him there, bleeding with the desecrated corpse of his daughter. The following day, I patched up Thomas and I's wounds. I helped rebury his daughter and paid my respects to the remaining family. I did what I could in Hobbs End, but the consumption continued to fester. Those who believed Marsha's bodily destruction to be the cure were proven deathly wrong. I left not long after, and Hobbs End as a village ended. Not at the hands of a supernatural terror, but by self-destruction caused by ignorance and blind anger, of which, even today, there is no known cure. Looks like old Hobbs End is now a dead end. <laughs> but not for us cadavers. Our wheels will keep turning after the break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Dear Lord Cadavers, I made a wrong turn, and now we've ended up in New Jersey. Fear not, I'll get us out of this mess. In the meantime, you listen to Carla tell us about the time she saw the Jersey Devil. They say the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world believe he didn't exist. But that's not it. His greatest trick was making it so nobody would ever believe his victims. My name's Carla Berger. My husband, Kevin, and I planned on such a fun and unique way of celebrating our three-year anniversary, a weekend-long hike camping in the New Jersey Pine Barrens from the south coast to the north. We packed our bags and began a romantic journey, or so we thought. Everything was normal for the first day, walking through the splendor of nature, just the two of us. Then, night fell. We were settling in for the evening, cuddling each other for warmth and comfort, taking in the sounds of nature, owls, crickets. Then we heard something out of place. The branches in the trees clenching, like somebody was breaking them off. Then flapping wings, far bigger than any bird I could imagine. We tried to brush it off. Might have been a falcon or maybe just a bunch of bats. I tried fooling myself, but the beating of those wings shattered any delusion I had. Kevin offered to investigate, but I couldn't bear the idea of him getting attacked by some wild animal. So we stayed in the tent, and waited, and waited, until the night grew quiet. Eventually dawn arrived and we could properly look. Several tree branches had been knocked over as we suspected. Kevin even climbed up one of the trees for a closer look. He was shocked by what he found and asked me to come up. There were huge claw marks in the bark, like something big had perched there to watch us. It was weird, and we didn't want to find out what had hitched up in those trees, so we continued down the trail. Nothing too out of the ordinary, just more trees, nature, and the occasional deer. Kevin and I talked the whole way, about our lives, our future. We wanted children. Not soon, but someday. I loved Kevin so much. I honestly wasn't all that into the hike, but he was right about it being a great way for us to grow closer together. Then we found something. A wooden plaque mounted along the trail read, At this spot, Joseph Bonaparte fought the accursed Leeds Devil, the 13th child. Being from Hoboken, I knew the story. A woman named Mother Leeds had 12 children and cursed the 13th upon discovering her pregnancy. Her curse came to pass, and she gave birth to a horned, hoofed devil that haunted the state for centuries. Kevin and I shared a laugh. The plaque looked shabby and hastily strung together. It must be a prank. Hell, whoever made it was probably messing with us on our last night. 
If anything, it put our minds to rest. The next night, the sounds came back. Kevin had a hunting knife with him and insisted he check it out. I told him to wait. For all we knew, it could be some kind of animal and not mere pranksters. So we waited. The flapping of the wings and the crunching of the trees echoed throughout the forest. He held me so tight I thought I might suffocate, both from his grip and from holding my breath in fear. We made it through another night. The first rays of sunshine hit our tent and we decided it was time to take a look at our campsite. We slowly stepped out and surveyed the forest. There were pine needles and branches everywhere. An entire tree had been uprooted in the night. Then we found what looked like hoof prints, like someone rode a horse through our campsite. Kevin saw it first. A seven, maybe eight foot tall thing perched high up in a tree. It had massive leathery wings it used to cover itself, like a bat hiding from the sun. The moment I laid eyes on it, the creature sprung from the tree and with a loud shriek, flew off over the tops of the pines. In less than a second, it was gone. I know this sounds insane, but that was him. The 13th Leeds child, the Jersey Devil but no one believes me. Poor lucky Carla. She got to meet the devil and live to talk about it. As for us cadavers, we're on our way to our final destination after this. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Everyone knows that dogs are man's best friend. Well, that must mean our next visit is to the happiest place on Earth, right? Let's find out as we pull into our last stop for the night, Dogtown. I've been a resident of the Cape Ann area of Massachusetts all my life. The only thing here that's been longer than me are the legends surrounding the former village of Dogtown. Dogtown was first officially settled in 1693 it was inland and had a little land for farming, but was a safe haven from pirates and natives, making it an ideal location for the wealthy and vulnerable. Back then, 
It was known as the Common Settlement, or simply the Commons. That was until the fallout of the American Revolution, which led to a booming fishing economy in nearby Gloucester and a diminished threat of piracy. As the surrounding coastal towns expanded and new roads curved around the commons rather than through it, the settlement slowly diminished in population, culminating in the War of 1812 when the town was mostly evacuated due to fear of coastal attacks and invasions. Eventually, those who remained were solely the outcasts of society, vagrants, freed men, bandits, and most notoriously, witches. Chief among them was the reputed Queen of Witches, Tomazine Tammy Younger. Tammy lived in solitude with her pet dogs. Much like other witches in the former commons, they owned pets to protect them and keep them company. So much so, the land earned a new nickname, Dogtown. Tammy was a loner and mystic known for holding card readings and games at her house, entertaining travelers and strange men. She would also threaten fishermen with witchcraft if they didn't give her offerings of fish and vegetables adding to her reputation. It was not long after she died that Dogtown died with her, the last resident being a freed man named Cornelius Black Neil Fenson. He was found alive with frozen legs in a cellar in 1830. Once he was moved to the poorhouse, Dogtown was truly derelict and abandoned. But that isn't to say it is empty. The dogs of the witches live on in surrounding forests that now has taken over. Hungry and crazed, the hounds attack anyone unlucky enough to cross their paths. There are also sightings of wolves and wolf-like creatures. On a few occasions, hikers, travelers, and curious nearby residents reported seeing wolf men, humanoid wolves that stood on two feet and walked like men. It is said that they are familiars of the witches who had their coven in Dogtown and are awaiting their master's return. Though abandoned, Dogtown is host to all sorts of dangers, both mundane and possibly paranormal. Throughout the years, it's been the site of suspicious murders and destination for those wanting to commit suicide. That plot of land is considered to be cursed and with justification. Personally, I haven't seen too much. But then again, I'm too scared to visit for very long after what happened. Once, I wandered those woods at night, walking the trail to clear my head, have a smoke. I didn't believe in the myths. Not then. Not like now. I saw those dogs. Dogtown is an accurate name because the witches may be gone, but the dogs, they are definitely there. They just sort of stood amongst the trees and watched, waited for me. I could see their eyes glow and hear their hungry breaths. Couldn't tell you if they were on four legs or two, <laughs> what kind of breed they were, but I ran out of Dogtown as fast as I could. I dare not go there again, not at night. That seems to be when they're most active. But even today, I, I sometimes feel like those beasts watch me from my home. Wanting for me to return to Dogtown. That's our last dog in this fight. No bones about it. I hope you've enjoyed our five stories inspired by New England's urban legends. And do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Wicked sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> You've made it through the night. Congrats. 
let's get going before that changes. The stories you've just heard were written by Jacob Davison. Tonight's episode starred Todd Lights, Fiona Dorn, Amy Kirsten, Gogo Lomo David, and Andrew Arnett, with editing by Andrea Listenberger. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell.